Let us pray. Beloved God, meet us here in this place so that we may know and love you more deeply than when we arrived. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. One thing that you have to know about me is that I am a sucker for a good love story. For example, Titanic is in one of my top three favorite movies, and my go-to books are often written by Nicholas Sparks. Anybody know who Nicholas Sparks is? He wrote many, many love story books that turned into movies, such as The Notebook, The Last Song, Safe Haven, those are some of the popular ones, but he had so many more. But if we're being honest about his books, if you've read one, you've pretty much read them all. <laughs> it's some small town in North Carolina where an unlikely couple meet and they fall in love. In his books, there's always a tragedy early on that the main character must learn to cope with, and that's usually the basis for where the love story begins. They all follow that pattern. And yet, most of these books become bestsellers. And so I ask myself, why is it that we read books or we go see movies even when we pretty much know how the story is going to end? Well, I can speak for myself in saying that even if I know that there's going to be a happy couple at the end setting off into the sunset, I am all in for the journey. How does it happen? When do the characters start healing from their past? How do they reveal the big lie? How do other characters play a part? Even when we can predict the end as though we ourselves are prophetic, the juicy bits are in those middle 200 pages. Well, the juicy bits of Paul's journey in Macedonia happen in just a few great verses that Pastor Edwin just read. But before we get to that, we have to back up to the prophecy that's made in order to get the whole picture. Paul is in the midst of a missionary journey, spreading the good news throughout the entire Roman Empire when he receives a vision in the night of a man in Macedonia begging him to come help them. Having been doing this work for some time now, Paul probably expects a general direction of this story. He'll head to Macedonia, he'll find the Jewish synagogue and start teaching about the ancient scriptures that have been fulfilled in Jesus. Some would accept his teachings as truth and others would try to persecute him. At this point, he'll take to the city streets, making and selling tents, all the while spreading this good news of Jesus. It's the same rhythm with bumps and misunderstandings along the way but it would lead to more people in the end trusting in the name of Jesus. Same story, different city. But even though he knows how it might end, or he thinks he does, Paul takes the first step and he goes where he's called. His encounter with Lydia reveals really powerful ways that God is working through these stories. And it reveals more than just a happy ending. Lydia, a businesswoman, is not the man that Paul expected to see. Lydia believes in the Jewish God, although she herself is not Jewish, and this makes her a bit of an outcast in religious circles. 
Not only that, she was from a city that was previously off limits to the apostles. But the Lord opened her heart to receive this message. And her very first step after she gets baptized, she invites Paul and Silas to stay at her house. This wasn't how the other stories went, so they needed persuading. And eventually, they took her up on her offer. I wonder how that changed Paul's ministry. I wonder how refreshed he felt. I wonder what he learned from her and the other way around. You know, we talk so much these days about returning to a pre-COVID world. I just can't wait for it to get back to normal again. But when I look back on my pre-COVID life, normal looked a lot more like jumping to the end of each little story and less about enjoying the story in between. I just need to make it to finals. I just need to suck it up while Mike and I date long distance. I just need to grab a quick bite so I can get back to work. Then, and only then, when those things happen, I can sit and laugh with my friends. Friends, the pre-COVID world was broken. And looking back on it with rose-colored glasses can sometimes help us forget that God is leading us somewhere incredible in the present. Perhaps some of you are spoken to in dreams like Paul is, and like I am sometimes. But even if that isn't ex your experience, you don't get visions in the night, there is one prophecy that has been given to all of us, one among many, and that is this. Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus said that one right before he ascended into heaven. But if we focus too much on the end of the age, we miss out on the always part of that statement. And Lydia shows us one way to do that, with radical hospitality. It's the first thing that she does when she's baptized and receives the Holy Spirit. I myself am still looking, trying to learn what radical hospitality looks like now that we can gather together again. My husband and I bought a house in a residential neighborhood last December. And when it started to warm up, the neighbors began to emerge. We finally got a chance to meet who lived right behind us. We small talked a little bit while their dogs ran around the yard. And they told us that any time we see them out at their bonfire or out on their deck, we are welcome to join them. I smiled politely, knowing well that I would feel like a burden if I showed up to interrupt family time on a Thursday night. But I soon realized that they meant it. Each time I saw the fire roaring, it was met with shouts to come join. For a little while, I had all the excuses. I have to clean up from dinner. I have a meeting to attend, perhaps with one of you. <laughs> all because I assumed that they were just being polite. But one afternoon, while madly cleaning the house before the in-laws arrived, the familiar shout came again. Wow, I thought maybe it wasn't just pleasantries after all. I set down the rug that I was shaking off, I called in to Mike, and we spent the next hour or so laughing and getting to know our neighbors and our friends. 
I felt God's presence a lot easier in that place than I did cleaning my house that day. My in-laws came. They didn't even care that the sink was still full of dishes. We spend so much time trying to make it to the end of the story, or at least cutting people out until the whole story is written. In our personal lives, how often do we not invite a new neighbor or a friend over because the house isn't clean? How many people do we avoid talking to on our walks down the hallway or in the street walking our dog because we're rushing to get to the next event? Look to your left and your right right now. The fuse, pews in front of you and in front of you and behind you. Do you know one another's names? Do you know their stories? Maybe today is the day to start. Today we welcome 16 new members into our congregation. How will these members know radical hospitality in this place? Will they be invited to be themselves no matter the cost? Imagine how they might experience God's transforming love because of it. And to the class, to the confirmands, how will you be a part of the radical love in these walls and out in the world? Will you step out of your comfort zones so that somebody will be reminded that they too matter? Some of the hard work may actually be allowing others to show you radical hospitality. Accept the dinner invitation. Sit down with somebody and sip on a cup of coffee. Accept help when it's offered to you. Allow others to share God's love with you in the moment. God doesn't tell us when the times referenced by the end of the age will come. The time when we will all be fully present in the, in the presence of the living God. But we do have this moment with God. We have this moment with one another. And transformation happens not in longing for the past to come back or passively waiting for the day that it'll all be made right again. Transformation happens when we extend radical hospitality in the current moment, allowing people to know that they are not a burden, that they are welcomed and loved by us and loved by God. The good news is that scripture shows us that we aren't expected to actually do the transformation work ourselves. Instead, we are invited to participate in the work that God is doing in being open to one another, being open to difference, to hearing stories, to hearing different ways of experiencing faith. That is where we see the church making a difference in the world. I invite you to take that first step right now. Let's stand up and greet the ones around you, know a name, and get to know just a brief moment of somebody's story.